Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about voting and elections. First, a bill in the Michigan legislature would allow so-called ranked choice voting. We're going to talk about what that is and how it would change our elections. And then we're going to talk with a few local clerks who say they need help implementing election changes to be sure that our voting in 2022 goes smoothly. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. Good day, everyone. And welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So you walk into the voting booth, and you have two options, candidate A or candidate B. You may want to look at a third candidate, somebody who represents your ideals and policy priorities, but maybe you don't think that person has much of a chance of winning and you fear that by casting a vote for them, you might be just kind of wasting it, making your vote meaningless. That's the way we have become accustomed to going into the voting booth here in Michigan and in most of America. But there are other voting systems out there that let voters kind of have their cake and eat it too. Ranked choice voting is a system that allows people to rank their favorite candidates, preventing votes from being wasted, even those made for a less popular candidate. So you go back to this scenario where you have candidate A and candidate B and candidate C who you don't think has much of a chance. Maybe you can put a little of your support behind all of them. It's a little different than the way that we've become used to voting in this country, but it's something that's been talked about for a while. And there are some places that are starting to experiment with it. We've got two people here with us today to give us more context on ranked choice voting and to talk about whether it's possible here in Michigan. Rob Ritchie is with Fair Vote, an organization that promotes voting reforms that it says will make democracy more functional. Rob, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Also with us is State Representative Regina Weiss, a Democrat from Oak Park. She is sponsoring legislation that would make ranked choice voting easier to implement in cities in our state. Uh, Regina, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Happy to be here. Okay, so Rob, we're going to start with you. Tell, tell us what ranked choice voting is and explain maybe better than I did uh, how, it, how it exactly works. <laughs> 
Well, thanks, Stephen. I think you you presented the issue well, right? If you only have two choices, voting for one of them is is about as expressive as you need to be, right? One's going to get more votes, and that's the winner, um, 55% to 45%, what have you. But we have a lot of elections, you know, primary elections, local elections, and some general elections where there's a third party and an independent, uh, where there's more than two choices. And only ticking one box next to one of them leaves, you know, information you have within you on the table and actually can result in uh, less representative outcomes. So the idea of ranked choice voting is actually quite common, recommended in Robert's Rules of Order, used by, you know, thousands of private elections. All the political parties in Canada pick their leaders with it. It's been used nationally for uh, for a century in, 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 in a couple countries like Australia and Ireland. And it's used now in presidential elections in you know, Alaska and Maine, uh, congressional elections in those states now, and, uh, you know, more than 50 cities. And so, so the, the idea is that you are not limited to just a single choice. You can indicate preferences. So first, second, third, you don't have to. Those preferences, in a sense, are backup preferences in case your first choice um, is is someone that isn't isn't a strong candidate, um, but you're 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 expressing your honest preferences, and then you add up all the first choices. That's your vote. If someone gets more than half, you have an outright winner. You don't need to do anything more. It's fifty five percent in the first round, what have you. But if it's say forty to, you know, thirty to to thirty or whatever the mm-hmm. the 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 result is, then you say, well, you don't have a winner yet, and then the candidate in last place is knocked out. They are eliminated, and those votes are go to their their backup choice to the second choice. You add those second choices to the to the remaining candidates. You you see if you have a majority winner. You kind of rinse and repeat. If if you get down to two, you're going to get back to kind of this idea of an instant runoff. It's mm-hmm. sort of like a traditional runoff election happening without having to uh, conduct multiple elections. You can just do it in, in in a single trip to the polls. So so talk about why you think this is better than the system we have now, not just in terms of, I guess, making people feel as though they can express better choice, but also in terms of outcome. Does it, does it really change the way that, uh, that elections unfold and that we pick winners? I think it really does, and it does in a very simple way, in the idea that now you as a voter can do more than just vote for one, and the candidates know that, right? So that now they now have a different reason to talk with you more, to learn from you. Because even if you've settled on your first choice and there's three other candidates running, they want to earn your second choice, right? So there's, so there's sort of an extension of a conversation. So that's sort of a, a 100% incentive. That's, that's sort of true across all races with ranked choice voting. And sometimes it does result in a changed outcome. So that happens less often. Um, but the first change is, I think, quite an important one. And so, you know, the winners in ranked choice elections not only are, you know, we're confirming that they are the majority choice, but we are also um, creating incentives for them to talk with more uh, voters. And so we often see them getting 65, 70 percent of people will rank them first, second or third. Um, and, and that's a kind of a meaningful engagement that the system incentivizes. So the, the outcome change, let's say a general election and sort of classically any time that a third-party candidate or an independent that people associate with one side or the other is running, the immediate calculation is like, well, what does that person have to say? What might they be bringing into the conversation that's new or what voters might be inspired to participate? It's like, whose vote are they going to cut into? What, 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 
what quote-unquote spoiler impact might they have. And there really can be a spoiler impact. You know, certain candidates do cut into one of the major parties more. You know, Green Party candidates traditionally cut into Democrats and Libertarians more into Republicans and, and uh, you know, sort of depends on the situation. And that kind of whole conversation about, oh, is that candidate just a spoiler kind of goes away. The mm-hmm. voters don't have to rank, right? So they may not, you know, rank anyone after they vote for that third-party candidate, but at least the very fact of their candidacy doesn't mean that outcomes um, might be affected by by the candidate. Yeah. Okay, Representative Weiss, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Uh, Tell us about this slate of bills that uh, you have introduced. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, So uh, I introduced um, House Bill... um, five, six, four, five, along with their two other bills that have been introduced, five, six, four, four, and five, six, four, six, my colleagues, uh, Rep. Tanadar and Rep. Ayash, um, that would essentially um, uh, correct some uh, language within Michigan election law and within the Home Rule City Act that will allow for the implementation of ranked choice voting. Uh, Currently, under Michigan election law, Ranked choice voting is explicitly allowed if locals um, elect to do so, uh, local governments. However, there's language within both Michigan election law and the Home Rule City Act that make it impossible to implement, Hmm. uh, specifically around uh, the ways in which elections are conducted and language which can appear on the ballot, um, which only allow for a traditional type of election. Uh, There is no language that allows for ranked choice voting. Um, and so the, the bills that we introduced simply correct that um, and allow for that language to be implemented so that local governments can implement ranked choice voting if they choose to do so, um, which local governments um, in Michigan have indicated that they want to. Voters have indicated that they want to, um, both within recently within the city of Ann Arbor um, and all the way back in 2004 in a city that I represent in Ferndale, uh, the voters have indicated that they want to implement ranked choice voting for local elections, hmm. but they really have not been able to do so. And and what do you imagine are the prospects for this legislation uh, in the current legislature? I mean, I know <laughs> it's hard to get things done sometimes in Lansing. Uh, what's the reaction so far from your colleagues? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we've seen both at the national level and at the Michigan level um, that there has been really an attack on on voting rights and voting access um, and, you know, ranked choice voting being an extension of voting rights and voting access, Mm -hmm. making the process even more democratic. I think in the current legislature, um, Republican majority in the House and the Senate, uh, it's very unlikely that this legislation is going to move or go anywhere. Um, However, you know, we want to continue having the conversation and keep on pushing for it because, we do have local governments right now, local voters who have indicated that they want to use this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll keep pushing it, but doesn't seem likely to move at this point. And, and one example of this form of voting here in Michigan is, is right here in Metro Detroit in East Point. Uh, Representative Weiss, can you talk a little about what's going on there and how it has changed democracy? Yeah, so East Point um, is the one exception in the entire state that actually has implemented a ranked choice voting system. And uh, the reason why the city of East Point has been able to do this is because they were mandated to um, by a federal judge Mm -hmm. uh, in a case, uh, a voting rights case, um, that because the city of East Point had not ever elected an African-American to their city council, 
Um, and so uh, obviously city's majority black. And so this, this judge ordered for them to implement this ranked choice voting system because ranked choice voting uh, really does lead to making it easier for both women and minorities to get elected to office. There's been studies that have shown that. And so they were ordered to implement it um, and have had um, three elections, um, two regular elections and then a special election um, where they have implemented a ranked choice voting system. Uh, the state essentially made a carve out for East Point because of this federal rule. Um, but so far, as I said, East Point has been the only community that has been able to implement it. Yeah. And and the thing that I always marvel at it in East Point is exactly what you, you pointed out, which was this fixed in a very short period of time the imbalance that the federal court had had pointed out and, and mandated mandated that they that they fix. Correlation is not necessarily causation. I know that, but I think it's hard to look at East Point and not think that ranked choice voting had a lot to do with with the outcomes there. Yeah, and I think um, looking at East Point, yes, and then looking beyond East Point to other other communities that have implemented this across the country, other states that have implemented this. Um, you know, as was stated, it makes it easier for um, for more candidates to be competitive um, because you don't have to worry about uh, vote splitting as much. You don't have to worry about so-called spoiler candidates. Um, and so uh, it makes it more likely for more candidates to be competitive um, and can lead to more candidates um, who would not have otherwise been able to get elected to actually get into office. Yeah. Coming up next, we are going to continue this conversation about voting and elections and the idea of ranked choice voting as a possible reform. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Rob Ritchie and State Rep. Regina Weiss, but we want to get you involved in the conversation as well. Call and tell us what you think about what you think about this idea of ranked choice voting. Uh, would you like to be able to vote for? a third candidate uh, or more than one candidate when you go into the voting booth and ranking your choices and seeing how uh, the outcomes play out that way. Um, also call and tell us if this is something you don't think would work, if you think it would confuse voters or muddle results. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guests right now are Rob Ritchie, president and CEO of Fair Vote, an organization that seeks better elections 
for all the advanced voting reforms that make democracy more functional and representative. Uh, also with us is State Representative Regina Weiss, a Democrat from Oak Park. She represents Michigan's 27th State House District. She has uh, introduced a slate of bills that would make it easier for jurisdictions here in Michigan to adopt ranked choice voting, which is uh, an alternate form of balloting that, uh, that gives voters a little more choice allows you to put your support behind more than one person uh, at a time, and then uh, the results are determined uh, based on uh, the vote count that way as opposed to just between uh, two candidates. Uh, As always, we want to hear from you on the phones during this conversation. Give us a call. Tell us whether you think this kind of reform makes a lot of sense, would make uh, democracy more participatory here in Michigan. Uh, also give us a call and tell us if you're a little skeptical of, uh, of that idea and worry that it will kind of muddle the, the results and the balloting. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter the comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to listeners, uh, I want to talk about um, something that happened in Massachusetts. Uh, Anthony Amore was a spokesperson for the campaign against the initiative for ranked choice voting in Massachusetts. And here's what he told Northeast Public Radio in October 2020 about why his organization was opposed to ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting is an overly and unnecessarily complicated system that actually uh, um, disenfranchises many voters and leads to a a vast increase in the number of ballots that are spoiled, which means are discounted in the uh, election. It doesn't um, lend itself to simplicity and ease of understanding, which is key to a valid and fair election, and that's why we're opposed to it. Now, that measure in Massachusetts failed with about 55% of voters saying they did not want uh, ranked choice voting. But, Rob Ritchie, I want to give you a chance to respond to what Anthony Amore was saying, and specifically this question of one person, one vote. I mean, that's such a sacred part of the way we think of elections and election law in this country. Why, why isn't this an affront to that? Oh, yeah. And let me just start just on a high-level way. Um, the Massachusetts measure did was defeated, but we've had two statewide measures win during that the last five years, and 18 of 20 measures have won, including the last 13 cities to pass it by an average of nearly 30 percentage points. So voters are often liking righteous voting, but each, each contest needs its own debate and discussion. Um, so on the idea of one person, one vote, if you think back to that explanation of it, your vote is only counting for one candidate at a time, right? It's counting in the first round for your first choice, and it will count your second round for the first choice unless your first choice has been defeated and is no longer in the race anymore. And then your ballot goes to your second backup choice. So one person, one vote is sort of addressed that way, and courts have looked at it repeatedly and, you know, uh, in, in, in Maine, a challenge was, was brought and a, a recent appointee by uh, Donald Trump was the, the judge who looked at it and did an actual really strong opinion, kind of knocking that argument down. And I think this issue, there's a lot of scare tactics that people who want to preserve the, the current system use, but, you know, the issue of, say, spoiled ballots, and, and it is just not true. Um, you know, we are seeing, like, say, Utah, there's, there's 
more than 20 cities uh, signed up to use ranked choice voting last year, kind of voluntarily. Uh, they, they have a right under their state law to do so, uh, including some of their biggest cities like Salt Lake City. 99.9% of voters cast, cast a valid ballot in New York City, first time out of the box. Um, a lot of absentee voting where, you know, you don't get to fix your ballot if you do something wrong. Um, 99.7% of voters, you know, which is like basically, um, you know, uh, three out of every thousand uh, didn't didn't cast a, a, a ballot that counted. So voters are handling it. 90% ranked in their first time out in um, New York. That's that's pretty common when people care about it. So even just a few people ranking, let alone 90%, shows that their people are are taking advantage of this opportunity. And it you know it's 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 something that that gives us more power than what than when we're limited to a to a, to a single choice. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. Uh, let's start today with Graham in Ann Arbor. Graham, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I'm calling because uh, I'm a I'm a fan of ranked choice voting. I think it could really loosen the grip that the two party system has on our politics. Um, but uh, yeah, I just. I'm wondering if it might introduce some other problems, like, for example, in uh, New York, I think we had some candidates uh, uh, doing what we might call some kind of a cynical alliance saying, OK, boy, vote for me for your number one choice and vote for so and so for number two, kind of as a way to team up against the candidate that was winning. And um, so I wondered if uh, that could unintentionally be an opportunity for people to make things less democratic, even though it's designed to make things more democratic? Hmm. A great question, Graham. Glad you called. Uh, Representative Weiss, I'll give you the first crack at answering, Graham. Uh, thanks, Graham. Uh, appreciate that question. Uh, I think, you know, um, of course, under any voting system, there's always going to be campaigning and, and work to try to win in any, any, any way possible by candidates. Um, and I think right now, um, you know, in elections where, especially particularly in municipal elections, where often you have multiple um, positions where candidates are running for multiple positions, candidates already um, run on slates. And I actually, when I ran for city council in Oak Park, I did this. I ran on a slate with a council, another council member and our mayor. Um, and, and, you know, and that is a method to try to and try to win. And I think that's not what you just described is not that dissimilar from that. Um, so, of course, that, that that is always that can happen. But I think generally speaking, um, allowing allowing for um, ranked choice voting is going to make it a more democratic process overall. Mm -hmm. Maybe ahead. I'll add just, yeah. just briefly to that, which uh -huh. is just uh, what I wanted to share. There's a, a, a strong Michigan group called rankmyvote.org. And, of course, in a Michigan sense, it's MI vote. Rank <laughs> of course, my vote.org, <laughs> but they have a good sort of like you know frequently asked questions and things like that. So check them out. Um, but I think like in in a New York, the the, the thing that's really uh, nice about ranked voting is all has to be a clear like like it doesn't have any impact if the voters don't hear about it. So everything has to be transparent. Everything has to be you know voters have to go along with any recommendations that they receive and. You know, candidates have to make that decision. Well, do I align with someone and therefore kind of shut myself off from other people? Or do I show empathy with other people but not kind of formally align? That's kind of a tactical thing. Hmm. But but the the ongoing threat is you're just trying to connect with more voters, uh, with more voters. And that's obviously what we want our representatives to be trying to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Graham, again, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, what's on your mind? Hey there, Stephen. Hope everybody's doing all good. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, um, I'm glad the, the previous caller had actually mentioned this um, about New York. Um, what they also do in New York is they also do a thing called a fusion party, where a candidate can actually appear on multiple parties. And I think that's actually how Cuomo stole some more votes in the 2018 election, was that he uh, he had his name on the ballot like about four times. Hmm. And I know personally uh, the Libertarian who is running out there in um, both in 2018 and this year, his name's Larry Sharp, and he's a proud proponent for ranked choice voting. Um, but aside from that, um, not only would it help third-party candidates, I think the real golden uh, piece for ranked choice voting would actually be in the in all parties within primaries, because as you've seen, you know, 2016 we saw it was about 17 Republicans running for president. 2020 we had 29 Democrats running for president. In this, in 2022, we're seeing what like 13 Republicans running for governor. It at some point in time these par- these primaries are becoming so overcrowded. We would need something more than just simply, you know, pick a candidate. Right. Because at, at, w- at what point in time do we end up with so many candidates that the winner is someone who gets even just a minor plurality, <laughs> like like thirty five percent, and they're and they're the winner for the whole nomination. Right. No, Mike. We, I think we need the fifty one percent majority. It's a great. It's a really great point, and I think it's one of the things that when you sit and think about ranked choice voting, I think it, it, it applies more directly. The problem that you're trying to solve uh, comes up more frequently uh, in, in, of course, in, in primary contests. And the ones you pointed out were, were some of the, the most glaring examples of that. Uh, Rob Ritchie, I wonder what your response is to Mike. No, I think Mike is spot on. I think, you know, um, that is the place that we see uh, uh, in some ways, a growing issue because, as we probably know, for the listeners are savvy people following our politics. You know, we're up to more than ninety percent of congressional races are are safe in the general election because of the the tilts, the partisan tilts of districts, and frankly, partisan tilts of states make most U.S. Senate and governor races safe as well. And and so that the primary becomes more and more dominant. And last year, I, I would say the two most you know, prominent elections we had in 2021 were the New York City mayor's race and the Virginia governor's race. And both of the winners of those were nominated with ranked choice voting contests. The Virginia Republicans actually uh, implemented ranked choice voting themselves um, to, 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 to put Glenn Youngkin as their nominee in a seven-candidate field. Um, worked like a charm for them, and, and there's a lot of interest. The Virginia Republicans are doing it in a couple of their congressional nominations this year, too. And um, that's what New York City was using it for just in the primary. But it was very impactful in New York because they, they had open seats for almost everything and a really remarkable kind of change-oriented election for, for what came out of the primaries. And I think a lot of it was the positive incentives created by the system. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Representative Weiss, before we end, I want to ask if you know much about how popular this idea here is here in Michigan. I talked about the failure of the initiative in, in Massachusetts, uh, but but what do we know about what people in Michigan think about the idea of ranked choice voting? Well, you know, as I've mentioned, um, in some local communities, Ann Arbor most recently, and then we had a caller from Ann Arbor on a little bit just moments ago, um, Ann Arbor passed uh, ranked choice voting with, I believe, over over 70 percent 
of people uh, voting to approve that uh, this past election year. And Ferndale um, uh, has passed it since 2004 and has been attempting to implement it since 2004. Um, and so I do think, you know, there is local governments, um, local communities have voted to implement this process. Um, some local clerks have, have indicated wanting to be able to do it. Um, and I think really the, the point of this legislation is not to say every single community in Michigan must now implement ranked choice voting. The point of the legislation is to give the option. So if voters at the local level want to implement ranked choice voting, they have the ability to do so. Um, and I know if that were implemented right away in Arbor and Ferndale it would be two communities that would immediately implement that. Um, and we would be able to see at the local level how that process works. Um, and, and I also just want to add too that I think, um, you know, thinking about this at a larger level and some of the national elections that we've talked about in large and other elections, um, implementing ring choice voting, the really beauty of this isn't just increasing the democracy, the democratization of these elections, but also in helping, I believe, tone down a lot of this extreme partisan rhetoric that we've seen mm -hmm. um, because candidates really have to try to build consensus among voters in order to be able to be successful instead of just completely pandering to one side or the other. And so I do think that this could help with our national politics as well if we have the system more widely implemented. Uh, implemented. Okay, uh, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about voting, but we're going to switch subjects a little bit, talk about uh, local elections here in Michigan and the help that clerks say they are going to need to make sure that uh, balloting goes smoothly here in 2022. But I want to thank both Rob Ritchie and State Representative Regina Weiss for being with us to talk about uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, both of you, uh, thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. It's great to have a chance to talk with folks. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk with two local clerks about the things that need to be fixed before we go to the polls in 2022. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones about voting. Are you worried about the ability to hold safe and secure elections here in Michigan amid all of these challenges that face local administrators? 313-577-1019 uh, is always the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We need help. That is the message from local clerks as we get closer to the August primary elections and the big November election here in Michigan in 2022. Local clerks and election workers are our front line for American democracy. And this year, the stakes are higher than they've been in a long time to make sure elections are safe, secure, and that they run seamlessly. A large bipartisan group of election administrators wrote an open letter last week 
to state leaders. And that letter urges them to get beyond partisan posturing and pass election reform bills before it's too late in the 2022 cycle. Here to talk about the challenges facing clerks and our election workers right now, as well as what they are asking for, are two local clerks who have a lot of work to do this year and have a lot of say about how our elections go. Uh, Barb Byram is the Ingham County clerk. Barb, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. And Justin Roebuck is the clerk in Ottawa County. Justin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. So, Justin, that line, we need help, was something you wrote on Twitter recently. I'm not sure that most people who are planning to vote even this year in 2022 know about the challenges that local clerks are facing this year. So tell us, tell us what uh, what concerns you and what you need help with. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. I think a couple of the critical things that we really need help with are a result of the past couple of election cycles, right? Where in 2018, we had a um, sweeping change in our election law um, that was initiated by our voters and passed overwhelmingly by Michigan voters, basically expanding the ability that folks have to vote uh, by mail um, and also offered um, same-day registration for Michigan voters, which is a great convenience for our voters, both of those things. Um, But they also put different strains on our election officials, particularly at the local clerk level, the city and township level, um, but at the county level as well. And then obviously we had the 2020 cycle, which, um, you know, in addition to um, pretty new changes from 2018, from Proposal 3 of 2018, we had a global pandemic. And then we also had, you know, an unprecedented level of, um, you know, misinformation and scrutiny uh, following the 2020 cycle and kind of through the 2020 election cycle. Um, which is just, it's very important that we maintain a high level of integrity in our elections and the security, but we need resources to do that. And we need an infrastructure to um, respond to those changes that our voters made that make it more convenient for voters. We also need that, um, you know, the, the laws in place and the infrastructure in place to allow us to efficiently serve our voters. Uh, and time is time is running out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say we're we're coming up pretty quickly on uh, some of the deadlines uh, for that. Uh, Barb Byram, what what are you asking state leaders to give to local clerks? Well, I think it's important to note that election administrators. Um, there are over fifteen hundred of us. City township and county clerks. We are Republicans, we are Democrats, and some are nonpartisan. And together we have asked for more time to allow for pre-processing of absentee ballots. We have asked for more options for early voting for our voters. We've asked to um, allow for full transparency of the audits that are done on our elections. You know, uh, uh, our elections are audited. And many people don't know that, um, but they are audited. And we are asking that those be public meetings um, to allow for more transparency in that regard. And then as county clerks, we are asking for the uh, opportunity to mark deceased voters as deceased a little bit earlier, um, because right now it's a local clerk function. And personally, 
Stephen, I'm asking all elected officials to stand up and tell their, their followers, their grassroots supporters, that our elections are safe, secure, and accurate. Hmm. And I really need um, those, those elected officials to stand up and tell their followers that the elections are safe, secure, and the results are accurate, rather than feed into the election conspiracies and the big lie. Yeah. So uh, the the thing I want to kind of pause here to point out is that Barb, you're a Democrat, and Justin, you're a Republican. Barb, you were just talking about the fact that this is uh, not a partisan issue, and it shouldn't be a partisan issue. And you've got clerks on both sides saying, hey, we need a lot of help. So one of the questions, I think, is why haven't lawmakers acted? What's what's holding this up if it's not partisan politics? Well, election administrators have been uh, the frontline defenders of democracy for over 200 years. And as election administrators, regardless of if we are, part, are partisanly elected or not, we know what changes need to be done with election administration to increase our security and to make sure that our elections are even more secure. It is unfortunate that partisan politics has played in. I, I certainly blame the former president um, for that. Uh, but election officials, re regardless if we are Democrats or Republicans, we agree that uh, election administration is not a partisan issue. We have a job to do and we have integrity and we work hard to make sure our elections remain safe and secure. Um, so it's not a partisan issue. It becomes partisan when the legislature gets involved and fails to support the professional election administrators, but rather uh, uh, concedes to the whim and to the conspiracy beliefs of their grassroots supporters. Mm. Uh, Justin, I, I want to have you address this as well, and and not to, to to put you on the spot here, but a lot of the attacks on the integrity of our elections, a lot of the doubt being cast on uh, the security of our elections, is coming from your side of of the aisle. Um, I wonder what you make of the bipartisan effort here to try to get some of these things passed, but then the resistance, I guess, in Lansing and where it comes from. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think it's any any doubt, as you said, you know, we our, our my political party, the Republican Party, um, has seen, you know, a resurgence of, um, you know, concern over uh, election security and the integrity of the election process. And there's a, a very much a, uh, you know, I think a challenge right now within the Republican Party um, uh, between two factions, one that believes that the election was actually um, uh, held fairly and the results are accurate, and, and the, another faction that actually does not believe that. Um, this is not a new phenomenon, and it's not just uh, a subject of the Republican Party. I mean, we obviously had a, a recount statewide in the 2016 election um, because, you know, the certain groups and parties uh, and many, many on the other side of the aisle from me happen to not believe 
the accuracy of Donald Trump winning the 2016 election. And so I think this goes back and forth, and it goes to show that, you know, election reform and election change is unfortunately sometimes a political football, particularly in major election years. And I think we have to get beyond that because there are some real challenges that need um, to be addressed. And, you know, quite frankly, we had a number of very, uh, what I would call low-hanging fruit, common sense type of of things that were passed by the legislature that the governor vetoed. Um, You know, training for election challengers, a requirement for the the training. And one one thing that Clerk Byram had mentioned, the ability for um, uh, county clerks to remove deceased voters from the voter file and essentially um, you know, get a head start on that process to uh, ensure accuracy in our voter rolls. That was vetoed by the governor. And, you know, so both sides play a role in the culpability here. And I think what we're asking for is just leadership and the ability to work together across some very common sense reforms. We're not asking for, uh, you know, fundamental changes that will, you know, sway the, the vote from one party to another. We're asking for things that will give us resources and allow our voters um, the ability to trust the process more. And I think that's really critical as well as we move into this big year, another election year on the, on the horizon, we need to be able to do the things that will um, engender trust um, from, our, from our voters. We do want to get you going on the phones, though. Uh, give us a call and tell us how confident you are in our ability to hold safe and secure elections here in Michigan amid all of the challenges that face local elections administrators. What are some of the ways you think we could do a better job of running our elections? And what have you been seeing in your community and at your local polling places in recent years? Are things running well where you are? And if not, what kind of support do you think local election workers need to do better. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Also give us a call and let us know um, how worried you are about the sanctity of uh, of our de- of our democratic process. Uh, are you bothered by some of the things that you hear people saying about uh, voting and and how it goes? Uh, Or are you someone who's concerned that we have real problems with uh, our democracy and you want to see people doing more uh, to make it better? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Um, I want to talk just a little about your staffs, Justin and and Barb. We've seen local clerks and other election workers leave their jobs in the last couple of years because of harassment and and threats. I wonder if you're still seeing that kind of behavior and what impact that has on our ability to run elections here um, here in Michigan. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's been a, a very challenging process for a lot of us on this level of election administration. And certainly a lot of my local clerks at the city and township level, you know, has taken this opportunity to, you know, either retire or move on to different opportunities. And we're seeing that across the state. Um, I would say that probably a good 25% of um, my staff's time on the election side of our office is still occupied um, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm 
with addressing uh, concerns of 2020. Um, and it's kind of remarkable because we're, you know, we're obviously, um, you know, a year and a half past that point where we are clearly, I mean, we've, we've not only held other elections, small local elections, right, special elections, but we're moving into a period where we are well underway for planning for the 2022 cycle. Um, and yet there is still a, a good percentage of our time is, is dealing with, um, you know, some very legitimate concerns from people who are just genuinely trying to understand the process. Um, and then another faction of folks who I think it's a little bit more of a, I don't want to say malicious, but maybe malicious intent, right, to uh, request all sorts of documents under the Freedom of Information Act, which is certainly available to everyone in the public, and we want that to be transparent, but it also takes time and it takes resources. So I think we are seeing a strain, you know, in election administration that we have not seen in a very long time, particularly, you know, over my career, I've never seen um, anything quite like this. Um, but, you know, funding hasn't increased right. from most local entities and certainly from the state. Uh, in terms of resources, staff and administrative resources, that has not increased for us. So, um, again, we need help. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barb, uh, I wonder what this looks like uh, in your office there in Lansing. Of course, we've seen some other things take place in Lansing at the Capitol uh, with regard to people angry about the process, feeling like they don't have enough of a voice. I wonder if, if the clerk's office there is experiencing some of the same things. You know, we are. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the, the number of Michigan election officials who received vile voicemail messages, threats, um, that's you know, threats to their family, threats to their 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 pets, um, and and downright bullying as a result of the misinformation that has been believed, and as a result, people are uh, are are just threatening election administration administrators in Michigan. This, I mean, this is certainly happening um, around the United States, but it is happening in Michigan. Criminal charges have been filed against some of these individuals. And this does not help the profession, and it certainly does not help make our elections any more safe or secure. Because what is happening is now election administrators are deciding that they're ready for a career change or an early retirement hmm. as a result of this harassment and these threats. And, and, and these individual uh, positions are often being replaced by the same individuals who believe in the conspiracies. And now we're seeing uh, in now we're seeing the secretary of state having to come in and say, no, as an election administrator, you must do a public accuracy testing. You, you, you must do that. This, this is election administration 101. And it is eroding the trust in our election process, but certainly uh, it's eroding our democracy. Mm-hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Krista in Addison Township. Krista, welcome to the show. Hi, how Hi. are you? Good, how are you? Oh, just peachy keen. <laughs> I wanted to say that um, all these people that are screaming election fraud, they seem to be mostly Republicans screaming election fraud. 
uh, virtually every instance that I've heard of fraud have been done by Republicans. So it's like the GOP is screaming at the GOP for being fraudulent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Krista, there, there, there is some irony there, no question. Uh, and I'm glad you called and, and pointed that out, uh, Justin Roebuck. I'll give you the first crack since you are a Republican at uh, at talking about that, but but also talk about fraud and how rare it is. I think that's an important point in in this conversation is that it it is not something that's happening uh, to the extent that we are hearing from some people about it. Yeah, I and mean, I think it's very important to note that actual election fraud, which is, you know, trying to <clears throat> change an outcome of an election um, by virtue of, of doing various illegal things, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's trying to impersonate a voter walking into a precinct and vote for someone else, whether that's filling out someone's absentee ballot and trying to, you know, cast a ballot uh, through the mail for someone else, or whether that's one of the more you know, um, grander schemes that have been alleged um, in some of these theories of where, you know, foreign nations are manipulating uh, vote totals or, um, you know, changing uh, algorithms on election devices, which is just simply not accurate and not true. Um, I, I think it's important to point out election fraud exists. And I am not here saying we have a perfect system. In fact, we don't. One of the one of the reasons why it's important for us to have some of this legislation passed is because we recognize the fact that we're not perfect as election administrators. This is a human process. Some of the things that we need to reform and change will contribute to a better and more secure process. But I think, as you pointed out, election fraud is extremely rare. It is, frankly, a, a risk that is not worth the reward. Mm. You know, when you think about committing a felony to impersonate another voter and potentially change one vote in a process. Every vote matters, definitely. That's why it's a felony to do something like that. But voter fraud has been proven time and time and time again to be very, very rare. And we investigate every instance of voter fraud that is brought to our attention. Um, you know, I am in the process right now in my county of you know, working with law enforcement to pursue two instances um, and, and, you know, and the reality is, you know, in, in the 2020 cycle, we had in, in my county 170,000, almost 170,000 people cast a ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we take those two instances seriously. So I think it's very important to note that we're not perfect. That is why some of these requested items, you know, it, are in front of the legislature and the governor. And we need the support of all of our statewide leaders to uh, improve our process. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Barb Byram and uh, Justin Roebuck, great to have both of you here to talk about what you need uh, from legislators this year as we prepare to get to the polls in uh, 2022. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for having us. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the new report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change talk about what it means for policymakers and our collective futures. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.